Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. Coming up on the show, Latana Stone the youngest female golfer to qualify at the U.S. Women's Amateur. Ladies and gentlemen, she's 10 years old. You're going to enjoy my conversation with Latana Stone. You'll think she's 16 or 17 at least after hearing from her. Uh, Very mature young lady. Amazing golfer. That conversation coming up on the show today. Rand Gatlin, our friend from Yahoo Sports, terrific investigative reporter. Uh, He had a report out recently Months of investigative work on Drew Rosenhaus, the agent with more players in the NFL than any other agent. And might he have been getting kickbacks from a financial advisor that he was aligned with that he sent his players to? Now players are going bankrupt and they want answers. We'll talk to Rand Gatlin coming up on the show today. And Oregon Ducks star quarterback Marcus Mariota is going to join us on the show today. Have you seen this guy play? He is a redshirt freshman. He also plays like a seasoned NFL vet. We'll catch up with Marcus Mariota. He's the maestro behind that fast-paced Oregon Ducks offense. That's coming up on the show as well. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm on Twitter Follow me at SB Radio, but our Twitter and Facebook links are on the homepage of our site at sportsbusinessradio.com. Brian Griggs, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. You know, uh, full-fledged into football season now, so I'm pumped about that. It's fun having the NFL on, and I think the official thing needs to get resolved because there's been some hokey calls. Yeah, we're going to talk about that (laughs) in headlines coming up next, but you're right. I mean, anytime you have a Monday night football game with the first quarter lasting an hour. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bad sign. It's a debacle. (laughs) It's not just a bad sign, it's a debacle. So uh, that, the NHL is having a lockout. AEG is for sale. We'll talk about that. So some big headlines. We'll get to those coming up next. I'm Brian Berger with Brian Griggs, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. 
We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Well, some big headlines from the world of sports lately. How about this one? AEG, the Anschutz Entertainment Group, which owns the Los Angeles Kings, Los Angeles Galaxy, and the Staples Center, where the Kings, the Clippers, and the Lakers play, they're being put up for sale, the company announced this week. Griggs, this is earth-shattering stuff, especially since we're a few weeks away from a vote for from City Council for pro football. This affects so many different things uh, with the landscape of sports in Los Angeles, and uh, the timing of this is pretty surprising to many. Well, and again, you got the huge market of Los Angeles too, so that automatically makes it a big deal because it affects so many different sporting, you know, events and and teams. So yeah, I think it's a huge story. I saw that come down. I'm like, wow, that is a big, and it's going to change, like you say, it'll change the landscape for a couple of teams, and who knows, the city could change on this. I mean, it's going to be a big deal. Well, in any time you have new ownership, you know, there's going to be new executives coming in, whether it's the top AEG executives or the executives with teams like the Kings and the Galaxy and the Staples Center. So will this create turnover? Now, this is a multi-billion dollar property. So you've got to have some deep pockets if you want to acquire this package. Um, They're not going to sell this thing in pieces. They're going to sell it together. In a statement, AEG said it would undertake the sale to qualified party best able to reflect the full value of AEG and fully committed to working with AEG's management team as it pursues its long-term business objectives, whatever that means. But, you know, I think what it does mean is there's very few people out there who could buy this package. And, you know, when you have a sale like this, the owners or potential owners are closely vetted. Mostly, do you have the money in your bank account. Trust me, people in L.A., they already saw Frank McCourt, where he basically bought the Dodgers on his credit card. This will not be that type of a deal. This will only be people who have cash in hand and are very uh, worthy of buying this and have the money to do it. Yeah, I think that's what makes it kind of a big thing, too, because you mentioned uh, Frank McCourt and, and how they've already gone through the wholesale of the Dodgers and all that. Same town. Here we go again. You know, I think that's what's going to make this kind of all eyes are going to be watching is to see, okay, who's going to buy this? How's it going to work out? And uh, how are they going to keep it from happening like it happened with the Dodgers before? So as I mentioned before, AEG was also behind Farmers Field, a proposed $1.5 billion football stadium in downtown Los Angeles, which was in the final stages of being cleared for construction, subject to the company attracting an NFL team back to the city. In a statement, L.A. Mayor Antonio Villagrosa said, AEG sale will not affect plans for an NFL team to return to the city. 
again, you know, we're two weeks away from this vote, Greg. So the timing of this is pretty interesting. When it's all said and done, it'll be interesting to see why now for announcing the sale of AEG. Yeah, it's just going to be a, I'm, I'm very, I'm following this one closely because it is, it's very interesting and it affects so many different teams and venues and NFL possibly coming and, you know, Staples Center is such a venue down there that's huge. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a one to fun, fun to follow. Another big story, the NHL locked out. So this is the fourth work stoppage in the NHL since 1992. We know uh, the 2005 season, I believe it was, was lost the entire season. You've got players talking tough against owners. You've got players saying they're out for blood with Gary Bettman. The owners have put Gary Bettman, the commissioner, on the hot seat, saying if they don't get the deal they want, he may be out. So... Anyone who's got pressure in this deal, it's Gary Batman. because if this doesn't get done the right way, he may be out of a job. But, Griggs, you've got to question a league that would have four work stoppages since 1992. That's in 20 years. That's a problem. You can't have this type of labor unrest in your league this often. And the NHL, when they lost their full season, they lost so many fans you know, just this last season, we started to see people returning to watch games on NBC and in their local markets and coming out to the games. And now you're threatening to pull the rug out on all of that. Yeah, I was going to say, this isn't like a NHL is not an NFL franchise. It's not something that rebounds like that. It's something that takes time. And when you have lockouts every other year, each time that happens, fans get cut. You lose the interest. Ratings get cut. And it affects TV deals. It affects all that stuff because you don't know if the season's going to be around. Well, they used to say the NHL was part of the big four with the NBA, the NFL, and Major League Baseball. I think after that season was lost in 2005, that was not the case. You could probably elevate a NASCAR or even a PGA above what the NHL is. Uh, Much more interest in Canada than there is here in America, in the United States. But uh, this certainly doesn't help their brand. We'll see. If I had to guess right now, I'd say we're probably not going to see hockey before the new year. And we may lose an entire season. But, you know, we'll find out. Will cooler heads prevail like last year with the NBA where they, you know, basically came back in December? Will we see that here with the NHL? If not, this is a a league that is going to fall further and further into the abyss in the minds of, of fans. Last headline of the week, we talked about this earlier. What a debacle. The NFL referees. So, Griggs, this is like uh, the substitute teacher coming in to teach. The students don't respect the substitute teacher. They're going to, you know, make faces and uh, throw paper airplanes in the room and spit wads and everything else. And that's what's happened in the NFL from uh, defensive backs just, you know, putting their hands on their wide receivers well beyond the the zone that they're supposed to do that to uh, the debacle we saw this last Monday night in Atlanta with Denver and Atlanta, a one-hour first quarter where you had melees ensuing at midfield. The referees were saying it's the red team's ball instead of the (laughs) Falcons and the Broncos. I saw a game over the weekend where the referee pointed the wrong direction for who had the ball. Look, I feel bad for these referees because they were brought in with little training. They're Division three referees because... College football wasn't going to lend their Division One and Two referees. So you've thrown these referees into the deep end of the pool. But you hear Roger Goodell talk all the time about protecting the shield, protecting the integrity of the game. 
You're a multi-billion dollar industry, and you're putting this level of officiating out on the field. What is it going to take? Is it going to take someone getting seriously injured? Is it going to take a game being decided by a blown referee's call? What is it going to take to get a deal done with the regular officials, but you're putting lipstick on a pig at this point, and I think you need to make a deal if you're the NFL and Roger Goodell? Yeah, it's got to happen. I mean, it's just it becomes more and more apparent that this is an issue every single week. Every weekend you're like, unbelievable, what's happening here? I've noticed too where the referees are making late calls based on reactions from players exactly. or Ma- fans. Remember Matt Ryan <laughs> yeah. got hit late and he's like, hey! So, you know what I, I tweeted out this week at SB Radio is I said it reminds me of like the, the pickup games at the local Y where you're calling your own fouls. Yeah. That's kind of what the NFL has become. Yeah, it's uh, it's got to get done. Like you said, multi-billion dollar industry, it's in the media, people are talking about it constantly. He's just got to get this figured out. So, you know, we'll see. The, the sad thing is, is that, you know, they're not meeting regularly. And as we've always talked, if in a lockout or any kind of a work stoppage, if you're not meeting regularly, then usually you're not going to get a deal done out of the blue. So hopefully they'll start meeting regularly. Um, there's a lot of pressure from fans, from the media. The NFL and its integrity is taking quite a hit because people are so disgruntled about these uh, replacement referees. So we'll see where it all goes. All right, coming up next, Latana Stone, 10 years old, incredible golfer, youngest golfer to ever qualify for the U.S. Women's Amateur. We'll catch up with her. Also, Rand Gatlin from Yahoo Sports and Marcus Mariota, the talented young quarterback of the high-powered Oregon Ducks. That's all coming up on today's show. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. She's four feet, eight inches tall. She's won 100 tournaments. She hopes to play on the LPGA Tour. And she's become the youngest player to play in the United States Women's Amateur. It's 10-year-old Latana Stone. Latana, how are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Thank you for having me. I have read your story, and it's phenomenal. You've won 100 tournaments. You are the youngest player to play at the United States Women's Amateur. Tell us how you got interested in golf, because I read that you started playing when you were two years old. My 
my dad, I've just been watching my dad, and he's been hitting golf balls, and I just want to try. And it started off for me teeing up the golf ball, and he's taking me to the driving range, and I just fell in love with it from there. What is it about golf that you love so much? Um, it's a challenge. It, it's a mental challenge for me. Um, it's very exciting, the game, and I just love playing it. Now, you've played against some pretty good competition, and again, you played at the United States Women's Amateur. What do people see when they see you out there, 10 years old, on the golf course competing against some of the uh, older players? Wow, she's 10? <laughs> and what do you think about that? Um, I think it's awesome that I'm 10 and I have qualified for the U.S. Women Amateur at such a young age. Um, next year, my goal is to try to make it into match play again. Because my goal still this year, I was trying to make it into match play, but I want to take it further from there. Latana, what's a typical day like for you? How much golf, how much practice do you have to do, and how much time do you have to be a, a young lady? Um, usually, I practice about an hour, an hour and a half. Um, my dad doesn't really like me to um, go out and practice like like five hours a day. He doesn't really like that. He wants quality, not quantity. That's a good uh, philosophy, and it's good to hear because I know there are some parents, and I've read enough stories about your parents to know that they're not like this, but you know, there are some parents that push their kids into activities, and it sounds like your parents have been great about letting you take golf and your interest in golf at your own speed. Yes, that's my, my parents are so supportive. Um, they help me with everything. Um, they just take care of me very well. They take me to practice. They take me to practice rounds. It's, they're just so supportive and helpful to me. I love them. And you want to play on the LPGA Tour someday. Is that kind of your ultimate goal as far as golf is concerned? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And tell me about uh, school and about, you know, being 10 years old. What are some of your interests? Um, I do homeschool. Probably the interesting subject is probably math. I really like math. And then activities, I like to do swimming. I like to jog with my dad and my mom. And um, I like to play basketball. I know it sounds kind of weird, a girl playing basketball for me. Um, I like to play soccer. I like to do all that fun stuff. No, that's great. Uh, Latana, I have a seven and a half year old daughter and she likes to do all of those things too. So that's the other reason I read your story and I'm like, you know, she's two and a half years older than my daughter and she's playing golf and she's playing against uh, some pretty amazing competition. So I'm so impressed by your story. Thank you. So, okay, Latana Stone, 10 years old, is joining me on the show. If you have not heard her story, she's uh, won more than 100 golf tournaments. She wants to play on the LPGA Tour one day. And uh, 10 years old, it's just phenomenal. You qualified for the United States Women's Amateur. What was that experience like for you playing in that event? I shot at 70. I was a medalist, and I was, I was very excited to go to Ohio 
Um, 66 Girls, I had to become medalist, and I was just so happy. My goal was to just try to qualify, and my dad said, if 70 didn't make it, you still played great. You know what? I've never shot a 70 in my life, so you're 10 years old. You're shooting 70. I'm 43 years old. I've never shot a 70 in my life, so you've got amazing talent. How far do you hit it off the tee? 220, 230, something like that. Are you kidding me? Nope. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. And uh, tell me about your putting. Are you a pretty good putter? I'm getting there. Um, I'm. I've had how many? I wonder how many putts I had today. Uh, maybe like 28 putts today at uh, the practice round I had, and I did. I did really well today. Um, I shot 70 actually in my practice round. That's excellent. Have you ever broken 70? Um, no. That's that's one of my goals too. I want to try to break 70. I. Well, to tell you the truth, um, when I was. Uh, trying to qualify over at the Wanderers Club. Um, I was three under going into the 18th hole, and it was a pretty tough hole into the wind, um, almost a 400-yard par four. And so my I hit my drive. My dad's like, okay, so we're not going to go for the pin, but um, so we laid up, and then I ended up making bogey on the hole. I would have shot three under if I had maybe tried, but it wasn't worth doing it because I was, Three. I was. I was two under. Um, I shot two under, and I didn't want to lose that and go to five over on that hole. So, how much do you think about strategy when you're out there on the golf course about what you just talked about, or I want to lay up here, or you know, do you go out there and just uh, play whatever the course gives to you? I'm actually a feel player. I I like to feel. <laughs> <laughs> So you you just kind of go with uh, your gut instinct? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, my instincts are always right. If I like, if I have to, if I do something wrong, and I'll be like, oh man, I should have believed in my instincts. <sighs> what do you think about the media coverage that you've gotten, Laton? I mean, you're 10 years old, uh, and you're doing interviews like this one on the radio. Is that something that you ever thought you'd be doing in addition to uh, playing golf? excited about having all this media attention because um, I don't know it's just I'm so excited that everyone's getting to know who I am and you and like I see you like Hello Kitty my daughter likes I Hello Kitty love Hello Kitty I've literally got everything I got a pencil case I got a phone case I got clothes <laughs> I have like bows and clips and you, you name it you got to get sponsored by Hello Kitty, so when you're out there on the golf course, you're you're rocking the Hello Kitty look. Well, I'm not that. I'm not that <laughs> like. Uh, I'm amateur, so I can't like get sponsored or anything. No, I know, but I'm saying when you make it to the LPGA one day, which I know that you will, then you can be the the lady out there with uh, Hello Kitty attire. Yeah, I and, would like that, but I wouldn't be like over exaggerated. So like, I, I wouldn't like play golf. With all that pink, and I really don't like pink a lot, but I like blue, and I like hot pink. I'm not like a, a freak pink, so. So, Latona, how many, do you play around a day? Do you take any days off where you're not playing around a round of golf? I get two days off um, a week, 
So, I, I mean, my, I'm just, I'm a plain old person. Um, I really just get two days off, so a week. My dad doesn't really take it that hard on me, so it takes it easy. That's good, because you got to have time to be a little girl, too, right? Yes, definitely. I hang out with my friends. I go with my family everywhere. Um, I'm just a normal girl. What's uh, the best movie you've seen recently? What do you like uh, as far as movies go? Oh, man. I have no idea. (laughs) No movies? Um, I do watch movies. It's just that I have no idea. That's okay. The thing is, I, I don't. I'm not really into like movies. I like TV shows. Like I, I like old TV shows, like uh, like the '90s. I liked uh, The Nanny. I like Home Improvement. I like Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I don't really like the TV shows now. I like the old ones in the '90s. You know what? You're right, you're right up my alley because my daughter, she goes back even further. She watches like Little House on the Prairie, The Brady uh-huh. Bunch, uh, The Waltons. She doesn't like today's TV shows either. So I hear what you're talking about. <laughs> so, Latana, how can people follow you on Twitter? You're at Latana Stone on Twitter, right? Yes. Uh- so we should tell people to follow you there. And I see that you tweet occasionally and uh that's kind of how i found you uh for this interview so i really appreciate you taking the time and best of success to you moving forward and i'm just so impressed by uh how you carry yourself and i'm very impressed with your golf game thank you all right you say hello to your dad for me too and thank him for uh for helping us arrange this conversation thank you dad (laughs) (laughs) all right latana take care thank you okay bye-bye podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. It's been a perfect day. We're all spinning on our heels so far away from real in California. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series event which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. All right, we're back. A good friend of the show has always been Rand Gatlin, investigative reporter with Yahoo Sports. He joins me now. Rand, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking a few minutes. Uh, You and Jason Cole, who was on the show yesterday with me, wrote a really interesting investigative piece talking about the relationship that Drew Drew Rosenhaus, NFL agent, and his uh, financial advisor partner had with players sounds like it was pretty corrupt explain your story for people who haven't had a chance to read it 
Yeah, so it's pretty simple. It's just the concept of the NFL uh, agent business being cutthroat, the NFL financial advisor business being cutthroat, and the need for people in that space to find allies when they're going out on the recruiting trail and trying to maintain their clients. And the relationship between uh, Drew Rosenhaus and Jeff Rubin appears to be from uh, the force of our reporting, which we did over the course of over five months, to have been unusually close uh, to the point where they shared at one point uh, up to 26 clients in common. And long story short, uh, Jeff Rubin, over a period of about seven years, gave off a number of warning signs. He got in uh, trouble for allegedly falsifying uh, insurance documents. Uh, and there was a report on that that was publicly available. And a few other things that should have raised or could have raised red flags for a guy in his position. And uh, ultimately, he invested or encouraged to invest about uh, 35 players total, 18 of Rosenhaus's clients, to invest in a casino operation in Dothan, Alabama, that ultimately went bankrupt. And uh, it looks like the player losses are up to $43.6 million. Wow. So here's the first question is, you know, when players sign with an agent, usually they trust that agent. And one of the first questions they have is, hey, uh, can you recommend someone that I can work with to manage my money? And because they trust the agent, usually they're going to listen to what the agent says. How can you clean that up so that there's not a conflict of interest between the agent and the financial advisor? And also, it's someone that's reputable, that's handling the money and not saying, hey, why don't you invest in some bingo casino in Alabama? Right. I mean, that was part of the problem with this Jeff Rubin character. He graduated from the University of Florida in 1997 with an exercise in sports sciences degree. It didn't appear to take any graduate courses in uh, financial advising or financial management or anything in that realm. And yet he ended up with at least 45 NFL clients, including Javon Kurth, Terrell Owens, Clinton Portis, Santana Moss. I mean, big names uh, from earlier in the decade. And, uh, and you just scratch your head and you say, how in the world are these guys all with a mom-pop shop and a guy who has no formal, at least discernible formal financial education instead of the big shops. And obviously with the financial collapse, uh, you know, in, in the past few years and everything we've seen that's grown out of that, it's not that if you invest your money with Goldman, you're 100% safe that nothing bad can happen. It's that it's a major corporation that has deeper pockets, uh, usually, than a mom pops shop and you have a better chance to recover if things go haywire. You know, I, I don't know how you clean it up completely, but I do know one thing that's very important is the NFLPA has historically not been very aggressive in pursuing these relationships between financial advisors and agents. And frankly, that's one of the main reasons why when you look at this story it becomes compelling from a reporter standpoint is it's a piece of the puzzle that the public usually never hears about. They hear that players go broke all the time, but it's often chalked up to players being dumb or, you know, whatever, whatever uh, descriptive term people want to use about why they go broke, but it generally does not explain the mechanics behind how it occurs. So you look at a guy like Terrell Owens, yes, he, might, he may have lost, you know, an extreme amount of money to most of us because we don't make money like that. But at the end of the day, if he lost $2 million or more because of the negligence of others, uh, and some would, would characterize it as being worse than simply negligence, then that's something I think we should all pay attention to. How do we clean that up? How do we create more transparency in the dealings between these financial advisors and the players? And how do you put the players in a position to succeed at a higher clip, because right now, as we talk about all the time, bankrupt uh, or finding themselves in financial distress at a clip of 78% two years after they leave 
a week. So, you know, you look at Keo, he's in that's his situation. He's two years removed from catching his last pass, and the dude is in, you know, significant financial trouble, and it's a shame. And some of that, as he says, is his responsibility, but we really do need to start examining who else bears responsibility in these situations. It's not just that the players are whatever you want to call them, stupid or whatever, and then that's why they're losing their money. Rand Gatlin of Yahoo Sports is joining me. You can find him on Twitter at Rand underscore Gatlin. So, Rand, you could say the same as far as I know with the other leagues, too. This isn't just isolated to the NFL. And then, you know, I remember when I was younger, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he had a bad financial advisor, and he lost his money. If you want to relate this to music, Billy Joel has had this happen to him a few times. How do you monitor this? Is it just educating the players so they pick the right financial person instead of trusting someone who doesn't have the wherewithal to manage their money? Is it that simple? You know, it it really, if you want to boil it down, I do think it is pretty simple. Uh, If you boil it down to its essence, it really uh, relies upon the knowledge these kids have when they go into the league at 21, 22 years old, which is new. Uh, the vast majority of them, if you look at a guy like, again, Tio or any of these guys really in the story, you can kind of pick one, choose one. The majority of them come from rougher backgrounds where there is not a lot of success around them. They don't have lawyers. They don't have CPAs. They don't have fund managers living in their neighborhoods. They have people who are very blue collar making money in different ways. So when $10 million is put in your lap, it's a bit overwhelming. I've said this many times. The first time I got any significant amount of money, uh, for my job directly out of law school, I blew it. I mean, immediately, and I had a law degree. So <laughs> I mean, it, it's not, you know, and it was a lesson learned. And I and I and I fell on my butt, and I said, "Wow, that doesn't feel good." I definitely don't want to be in a position where, you know, I, I'm uh, living check to check again because I was spending recklessly. And so and so you you learn. And but they, these kids don't go through that process before they learn how to have some money and spend too much of it. They're given a ton of money, and by the time it's gone, at the end of their earning capacity is has basically reached uh, their reality because, they're, you know, they're not going to go into most of them, not going to go into hedge funds and be large business managers or lawyers or CPAs because they've dedicated their lives to football. They've got, you know, a doctorate or the equivalent in terms of their educational, uh, their study time and their performance time in football. They're equivalent to, you know, guy who goes and gets a Ph.D. They've spent that much time in their craft. So to just uh, to sum it all up, you know, I think there's there's three simple things you can you can do for players. They need to have a an attorney, uh, a financial overseer. I wouldn't even say a financial advisor, but somebody to help give them some guidance in that realm, if not manage their portfolio. Uh, and then I think you need a CPA, and I think they all need to be independent. And to the extent that you choose them uh, outside of the champagne room, a lot of these kids hook up with financial advisors when they're in college and they start getting you know, little benefits here and there from the financial advisors while they're in college. And whoever gets the trust first is the guy who's brokering the relationships, whether it be above board or below board. And I I just think, you know, if the kids had three separate independent financial professionals in their lives who were very confident and not from uh, the, the sports recruiting world that were from more established shops, there'd be a heck of a lot more of them in solid financial shape at the end of the road than currently exist. Is the NCAA, is the NFL Players Association, or any of the other player associations doing anything? I know they do their rookie seminars, but are they doing anything deeper than that to really help these young players who, as you say, are having millions of dollars dropped on their lap make these types of decisions? Generally speaking, when you do an investigative report like this, you want to refrain as much as possible from 
uh, giving opinions. But in light of the fact that you have served Portland wonderfully for all this time, and I think you're one of the best in the business, you know, let's discuss it frankly. The point is, uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, the NFLPA is a representative of the players. If you dig into the business of NFL agent representation, it is – and I, and I hesitate to use this word because I, I want to make sure <laughs> that uh, I'm allowed to qualify what I mean, but their record in enforcing, uh, going after uh, agents who are crossing the lines as explained in their regulations is extremely poor. Uh, in my opinion, they do not uh, emphasize enough uh, the rooting out of things that could possibly harm the players in the agent representation realm. And, you know, for them, they certainly need to take a look, a long, hard look at what the industry looks like today. And if that is the way it should be, if, if it is okay to consistently have nearly 80% of your players going broke and simply blaming the players for being dumb, not analyzing is there a deeper root problem, are there other things that we can attack that could reduce that number even a little bit because every player who makes it to the end of the road with some money in his pocket has an opportunity to go back into his community and amplify his success with the kids who look up to him. And there aren't that many heroes from the neighborhoods a lot of these guys come from that are positive. So we'd like to see a lot more in terms of the business they conduct Magic Johnson's, for instance, than Pac-Man Jones's. And I think to the extent that the NFLPA has a responsibility to promote the ability of the players to become Magic Johnson uh, and stay away from being Pac-Man uh, Jones, I think, you know, they absolutely need to do better. Um, I think we can all say that well, know, reasonably is... Uh, yeah, and I know, Rand, you've been around this not only as an investigative reporter, but but you've been around this industry, so you know, you really know how it's run. You're not speculating, you're not guessing, you know firsthand how this is done. What do you think happens to Drew Rosenhaus moving forward? You know, I think that, again, this is going to be an NFLPA issue. There are any number of issues that could have arisen um, as a result of kind of our findings. All of these different regulatory bodies, investigative bodies, have to go out and find the information themselves. Um, but I would venture to guess that uh, even, if there, even if there's another uh, side of the story that is fleshed out, you know, our reporting is straight down the middle, and we spent a lot of time in a, over you know, five and a half months. And you know, we only reported that which we felt 100% comfortable reporting. In a situation like that, a lot, that, a lot of that hits the floor. A lot of the stuff that you may uh, have or find out hits, hits the cutting room floor, which is fine. You want your report to be as, as accurate as humanly possible and no speculation. And in this situation, rather than speculate on what will happen to him, I think you know, everyone who wants to answer that question for themselves should say, does the NFLPA want to send a message explicitly or otherwise that if this kind of stuff is going on, it's acceptable? It's okay for the players we represent to end up in situations like this as a result of whatever failures they may see in the system, and should that be fixed. And I think that's the policy uh, level discussion You know, the NFLPA is likely having, is, how to, is this how we want it to be? Well, I'll tell you, the NFL has their work cut out for them with over 3,000 players filing suit against them for uh, concussions and head injuries and uh, post-career health problems. And then, you know, the stats that you just gave out about how players go bankrupt so shortly after their careers, 
it almost seems like from afar, you know, obviously the players are making a lot of money and, and they're playing a sport that they love, but there's a lot of cautionary tales post-career, and I think the NFL needs to do a better job, as do the other leagues, of making it so there aren't as many of those cautionary tales. 100%. I, I completely agree. It's, you know, we can do better than 78%. Society. You know, we're talking middle schools, high schools, colleges. You know, and, and we've talked about this many, many times. If colleges emphasized preparing their players for life after football as much as they did for life on the field, then, you know, these guys would be a little bit more educated. And you're already starting in many of these cases with rough circumstances because the guys don't have the same educational backgrounds uh, from what used to be Northeast Portland. I don't know what the composition is today, but when I went to Jefferson High School in 96, um, you know, I didn't have the same educational background coming from that school that I did when I moved out to West Lynn and graduated from West Lynn High School in 2000. It was like night and day. I mean, even down to our resources. I remember our team helmets were yellow. I had a white helmet because we couldn't afford matching uniforms for the, uh, for the freshman team. So, you know, it's just a different world these kids come from and really have to, uh, everybody has to pitch in and figure out ways to promote their success because, yes, while there are knuckleheads uh, in the NFL, people that we don't feel bad for when they go broke, there are certainly a lot of guys out there who are fundamentally good people who just live a life that we're not familiar with. And if they had a chance to be more successful in the long run, I think they could do a lot of good for society if they get wiser and older and and are in a financial position to give back. That's Rand Gatlin of Yahoo Sports, did a great investigative report on Drew Rosenhaus and the financial advisor that he's in cahoots with. Read it online at yahoosports.com. Follow Rand on Twitter at Rand underscore Gatlin. Thanks, Rand. Keep up the good work. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Let's get it kicked off right now with the sensational quarterback of your Oregon Ducks. The Ducks pounded Arkansas State 57-34 to in the opener on Saturday. Marcus Mariota, and we're going to get the 
per- correct pronunciation of his name in a moment. All he did was pass for 200 yards, 18 to 22, three touchdown passes, led the Ducks to 50 first half points. Marcus, how are you? You guys doing? We're doing really well. Uh, congratulations on a, a big win on Saturday. So, first of all, there's a lot of confusion about the pronunciation of your last name. Can you please clear that up for everyone? Uh, it's Mariota. So there's not there's not a uh, emphasis on the ta. It's just um, just more Mariota. So it's a little softer on the ta. So, uh, some of the guys on ESPN were uh, enunciating and emphasizing the ta. So. Yeah, they were butchering your name on on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully we can get it corrected. So, so let's talk about the game on Saturday. You looked so poised. First quarterback, freshman quarterback to start at Oregon since Danny O'Neill in 1991. Where do you get your your poise and and your demeanor? Because you came in and you acted like a, a grizzled vet. <laughs> it's got to be from back home, uh, from Hawaii. I think you know, it's just. The, the lifestyle back home is so laid back and so, uh, you know, just chill. And uh, I think that carried over into my play uh, for a long time now. So, uh, you know, it, it really benefits me. And, uh, you know, I continue to just handle my way, handle myself that way. As a freshman, how do you get the respect of your teammates and get them to follow you? It's just continuing to go out there and work with them every day. I feel like if you go out there and, uh, you know, just continue to lead by example, I think guys will, will see and, and uh, follow you. So, I mean, that's kind of how I've taken it since I've gotten here, and uh, it, seems, it seems to be working. Uh, you led the team to seven straight touchdowns, and then you sat on the bench the rest of the game, 50 points in the first half, not bad. 14 different receivers caught the ball for the Ducks on mm-hmm. Saturday. Is that intentional? Are you really trying to spread the ball around at the beginning of the season and get guys involved? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, we have so many playmakers here at the University of Oregon. You know, I feel like any of those any of those receivers and you know guys like uh, DeAnthony and Kenyon, they can go the distance at any at any point in time. So, you know, to have have them get the ball and to have that opportunity for them to just kind of do their thing is uh, you know what what makes this uh, offense very very uh, you know capable of, of good things. I know you've only started one game, but quarterbacks tend to have security blankets, guys they like to throw the ball to in a big situation. Is there that guy or those guys on your team that you've built that kind of rapport with so far? I, honestly, I think it's everyone. I have so so much trust in each and every one of my receivers and, and teammates here. And uh, you know, I, and I think that's, that's uh, good for this offense because people can't key on a certain receiver uh, in, in different situations. So, you know, it's... it's uh, We've got guys here that can make plays, and, I, and my trust is fully, fully into them. Oregon Ducks quarterback Marcus Mariota is joining me. Uh, let's talk about what attracted you to the Ducks. You were heavily recruited. Lots of different schools wanted you. What was it about Oregon's program and Chip Kelly that attracted you there? The offense. I mean, uh, I came from a similar offense in high school, and you know, just to have that ability to to run and throw uh, is something that really drew me to this to this. Uh, university, but also, you know, not not only football, but you know, school and um, you know, just the the small campus uh, kind of just remind me of home a little bit. You know, I love the college atmosphere here. Uh, you know, everyone here loves their ducks, and that's something special to me, and something you know that's very special to this community. And 
uh, that really drew me to, to this university. When you're a guy, didn't Jeremiah Masoli go to your high school and uh, you watched him play at Oregon? Did that have anything to do with you putting Oregon on your radar? A um, little bit. I think, you know, coming from my high school, he, he came for one year. And, uh, you know, just to see him play here, you know, it kind of had even the whole island. You know, he even though he was uh, there for a year, uh, you have that, that name from Hawaii and people will pay attention. So, you know... To have him, have him from Hawaii, I think, kind of really just got me to recognize Oregon. And, uh, you know, when, when Coach Kelly uh, started recruiting me here, uh, that just made it, you know, even more special for me to come here just to have another local boy play for the University of Oregon. Marcus, I hear all the time the Ducks get so much conversation around their uniforms and their helmets and, hey, this is really attractive to the recruits and this is the cool hip stuff that they're looking for. <laughs> What did you think of that when you were in high school and you saw all the different uniform combinations and helmets for the Ducks? Is that something that you went, hey, that's pretty cool, or did you notice? Where did you stand on that? You know, I mean, you notice it the moment they walk on the field, and I think that's something that's uh, really drawn a lot of recruits here. You know, to have to have Nike sponsor this school and to have all the different uniforms, and uh, it's, it's something that's, you know, really, really drawn, I think, a lot of recruits, and, you know, even myself. I think to have Nike here is something that uh, we're very fortunate to have, and uh, you know, it's it's really, I honestly, it's really awesome to have such, so many different uniforms and different cleats and colors, and I think it's I think it's awesome. So, how does that work? Do the players get consulted before a game? Hey, here's all the different <laughs> options for what you can wear today, and you guys decide on it. Is someone else deciding on that? How does that work? It's the older guys. The seniors get to choose. Uh, I believe they get to choose uh, the uniform combinations throughout the season. So, uh, you know, hopefully uh, as I continue my career here and I'm here for my senior year, uh, I'll get the opportunity to take some and, and that'll be special. Just a few minutes left with Marcus Mariota of the Oregon Ducks. Uh, talk about the values you got from your parents. I understand you're pretty close with your parents and um, they, you know, pretty down to earth people, like you said, like, like you said, you are just talk about your parents for a moment and how they helped uh, mold and shape you. Um, my parents are just the two of the you know, most wonderful parents in the world. Uh, they've uh, just always taught me to, to be respectful and, you know, the way you treat people is the way how you're going to be treated. And, uh, you know, some of those values are, are very crucial in, in uh, football. I mean, if you're going to go in and try to lead, you're going to want to lead, you know, the right way. And, uh, you know, that's something that my, my family has always taught me. And, um, you know, they're, they're always here supporting me. And, you know, I love them to death. And they're, uh, they're very good people. So you're laid back. Can you lead vocally or are you a lead by example guy? Um, I feel that I could be both. I think uh, whatever the circumstance calls for, uh, I will, you know, arise to that. But really, I think there's so many good leaders on this on this Oregon team that, uh, you know, a lot of the vocal leaders like Dion and Michael Clay, those guys, you know, they really lead by their by their voice. And, you know, sometimes you don't need a whole bunch of guys that lead by their by their mouth and rather have, have you know, several guys follow and, and lead by example. And, uh, you know, that's really worked for our team. And, uh, we're going to continue to follow those those older guys because, uh, you know, they're taking us somewhere special. Have you found a good place to find Hawaiian food in Eugene? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's, uh, gosh, there's, uh, what is that called? Hawaiian time is not bad. Uh, you know, like I said, it gets the job done. But, um, you know, there's, 
there's multiple places. Uh, you know, there's a little place called Miso. It has uh, like chicken katsu. We call it back home, and uh, that's that's some good stuff. And you know, whenever I really do actually get um, a miss miss home food or Hawaii food, uh, you know, I have my roommate Bronson Yim who's also on the team. He he can cook a couple good local dishes, and uh, you know, that's that's probably where I get my fix from. Do you try your hand at cooking ever, or you stay away from the kitchen? <laughs> I, I stay away from the kitchen. I don't want to burn the house down. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys almost burned the house down on Saturday with 50 points in the first half. How about Jawaiian music? I hear you've got that cranking in the locker room a little bit. Tell people what Jawaiian music is. It's a, uh, it's what we call it Jawaiian or local music. Um, you know, it's Hawaiian music, but its its origin is from Jamaica. And, uh, you know, it's just for me, it's the, the slow melodies and you know, the relaxing uh, music is just something that always uh, I can familiarize at home. And, uh, you know, it's something special. And I think, you know, some of these guys are starting to pick up on it. Uh, you know, there's an artist that we all kind of like here. His name is Jay Boog. Uh, he's actually from California, but, uh, you know, he has ties to Hawaii. And a lot of his music stems from, from Hawaii. And, you know, it's just to have that nice, smooth beat is, uh, is always relaxing. And uh, it's always fun to hear it. And it's good to hear something from home. Well, I love Hawaiian music, so I might have to check out some of the Hawaiian music now. <laughs> hey, are you going to get on Twitter? I see you're not on Twitter. Are you afraid of Twitter? Do you want to embrace it? You've got some teammates, Kenyon and, and DeAnthony, who are on Twitter. What do you think of Twitter? Um, Twitter, I don't know. It's just something I'm, I've never really been curious about. I used to have a Facebook, uh, but I don't know. I just, you know, I've never really been drawn to it. I haven't, you know, I don't really update my status all the time, you know. Sometimes I just like to, to keep my, my personal life to myself. and uh, But, you know, we'll see. I think uh, that's some, Twitter's something cool. You know, you get a lot of different news updates, and we find out a lot of things through Twitter. So, you know, maybe over time, uh, you know, I'll, I'll make one or uh, I'll try to decide on it. But, my guess yeah. is your teammates are going to talk you into that sooner than later. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> So have you played, last thing, have you played Madden 2013? I know you're a video game guy. Have you played Madden 2013 yet? Actually, I have not yet. I still have to go pick it up. But uh, I heard uh, guys like uh, Chance Allen and Braylon Allen and some of the freshmen, uh, they're pretty good at it. So I got to go buy it and, and uh, try my luck at them. If you can be one team on there, who you, who are you going to be on uh, Madden 2013? Oh. I'm a Cowboys fan. You know, I've always grown up loving the Cowboys, so I can't go wrong with the, with Tony Romo and the, and the Dallas Cowboys. All right, Marcus Mariota, Oregon Ducks quarterback. Fantastic game on Saturday. Way to start Thank the you. season. Thank you so much. I really Thank enjoyed you. this conversation. Best of luck the rest of the season. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks 
for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. All right, we're back. I want to throw a little plug for something I'm involved in. Uh, I'm going to be helping to organize a sports PR conference. So essentially what we're doing is we're bringing together top executives from the various sports leagues. So the NBA meets with themselves and the NFL meets with themselves, Major League Baseball. But there's never really been a conference, Griggs, where all of the senior leaders in sports PR can get together and exchange ideas, tell war stories, network. And we're going to be doing the sports PR conference in New York next year, probably in the the May to June time frame. I'll have some dates that I can share Soon, uh, we've got some great people involved. We've got a great steering committee, people from the NCAA, all the different leagues, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, the NBA, the NFL, the PGA, NASCAR. We're all going to come together in New York, uh, have some great panel discussions. We're on Twitter already, at SportsPRConf. Couldn't fit conference in there. So, at SportsPRConf. Would love to have a follow there for people that might be interested. We'll also be putting out uh, more information on the conference and details via a website that we're creating. So keep your eyes on that. As many of you know who listen to this show, uh, I have a media training company. Everything is on the record, involved in a lot of different things. So, uh, But this conference is going to be really cool, and it hasn't been done before. It's going to be in New York, so uh, looking forward to it, Greg. The thing that's going to be cool about it is you're going to be hearing from people that are in the industry, but not the normal people we see on TV, the talking heads. It's going to be people that know so many more you know, of the intricate behind-the-scenes type things of all these uh, huge organizations, MLS and NBA and all that. So it's going to be really cool. New York can't beat the city. I mean, hello. So it's going to be a great venue, a great spot, great time, and it's highly worth it, I think. And you know, we'll have some fun networking opportunities, whether we go to a Yankees or Mets game or something like that. But imagine, you know, and I'm just, I don't know that this uh, will officially take place, but imagine a panel where the people from Penn State can talk to the people from the New Orleans Saints about crisis PR. That's the type of conversation that we're going to have. Obviously, social media is such a big factor in communications in the world that we live in today. Saw so many examples this week of people getting themselves in trouble on social media. So uh, it's going to be a great conference. I'll share details of that conference as we go along. But on Twitter, we're at SportsPRConf, C-O-N-F. A lot of thank yous on the show this week. Brian Griggs, our executive producer, Josh Blank, and Doug Zanger. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the iTunes icon on the front page. You can also just go directly to iTunes and type in Sports Business Radio. Our podcast will come up. Also have the podcast on our site, on our podcast page at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there as well. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. 
Griggs, what are you on Twitter? Bgrizzle22, right? Bgrizzle22, yeah. Bgrizzle22. We got to get you more followers. I know. I usually tweet out family pics, so if you enjoy my family, you'll enjoy my follow. <laughs> hey, man. If you want to know the real Brian Griggs, follow at Bgrizzle22. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. It's a clear day in this city. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.